Why is it that so many people inside the church and outside the church cannot get out of the prison of their past? Over the years, these 60 years that I have been ministering, I find that many people in the church are still in the prison of their past. And then I meet many people outside the church whose lives seem to be stuck and they just can't seem to get it together because they're, they're still in the prison of the past. You know, today I want to do this. I want to address the subject to Christians, to believers, to followers of Jesus about how you don't have to live in the prison of your past and that you can move forward in your life and that God has absolutely made provision for you to move ahead. You see, you can't go very far when you're looking back. But you know, when you kind of make a turn and you start looking ahead, then the path becomes clear and you can make progress in your life. You know, you say, Brother Fred, do people really live in the prison of the past? Is there such a thing as the reality? Oh, yes. Many followers of Jesus are not growing spiritually because they are still stuck in a mud hole of something that happened in their past. It may have been a, a sin they committed. It may have been a failure that they were a part of. It may be a disappointment that occurred in their life. It may have been a rejection. It may have been a failed marriage. It may have been the loss of a loved one. But somehow, every time they start moving ahead in their spiritual life and begin to grow and begin to mature spiritually, they just keep saying, but you know, it'll never be the same. Well, life is never the same. It'll never be the same. But what I tell you can, life can be better. It can be better. If you do not allow the disappointments and failures and sins of the past to keep you bound. Now, I honestly believe that people live outside the church and inside the church in the prison of their past because of the culture in which we live. Oh, yeah. And because of the, of the, of the way Americans look at life. Now, I want you to think about this. Today's culture says this, if you perform right, if you perform right, you've got value. And if you have value, you're really worth something. And you know, you will be accepted. For example, here's a great athlete who can make a basket or hit a ball or run a ball. And th they make millions of dollars. And all of a sudden, they become an authority on everything. Have you ever noticed that? But the truth is, they have performed right. And do they have value? And do they have worth? 
And are they accepted? Oh, yes. But take the reverse of that. And not talking just in the world of athletics. I'm talking about in everyday life. What if you don't perform right? And most of us don't. Then does that mean that we have no value? Does that mean that we're not worth anything? And does that mean that we will never be accepted? You see, the reverse thing here, performance equal value equal worth equal acceptance, that's a big thing in this world. And some of you raising your children, you don't know it, but you use that standard with them. They perform right in school. And boy, they have value. And they have worth. Man, you accept them. But you know, what about when they don't perform right? What about that? When they mess up, what do you do? Does that mean they don't have any value or any worth and that they're not accepted? You see, I believe a part of our culture is it esteems those who perform well. It's called a performance mentality. But it kind of looks down on those who never are able to perform right. But you know, it says in the book of Philippians, the third chapter and the 13th verse, it tells us that there's some things we need to forget. It says, it's on the screen, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, hey, he was focused on it, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things which are before. He said, man, I'm not living back there anymore. And I'm getting out of that prison and I'm looking forward to things that are before. He said, there's some things we need to forget. But then over in Hebrews, the Hebrews writer talked about life is like a race. And it says, uh, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin that easily trips us up and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You know one of the weights, the hardest weights for a person to lay down? It's hard to lay down the weight of their past. They just keep going back. And they just keep living in the past. So we got to realize that there's the reality of the prison of the past. But then I want to, this is the thing that excites me, is there truths that in God's word that will set you free from the prison of the past. It will absolutely unlock the door and throw away the key. But you, know, you not only have to know this truth intellectually, but you have to know this truth in your heart. You have to know it spiritually. Do you realize that every human being on this earth has value to God? Did you know that? Every human being on this earth has worth to God. And every human being on this earth will be accepted by God if they will come to him for his acceptance. Now, 
Next time you pass a homeless person on the corner, just remember this. They have value to God. They're worth something to God. And God would love for them just to receive his love and let them accept it. In fact, this is going to shock you, but that homeless person on the street has just as much value to God as the guy that made $200 million for a five-year contract for hitting a baseball. You say, come on, Brother Fred. That guy on the street, he's worthless. Oh, you think so? You really think so? You know, the person that you know that you worked with who failed, and everybody kind of says, well, I, I knew he wouldn't, be, wouldn't make it anyway. Are you telling me that he doesn't have any value and worth to God? So you have to understand. Now, you've got to get this. Our value to God, our worth to God, our acceptance by God has nothing to do with our performance. Zero. You may perform on a high level in every area. And that's good. You know, God doesn't want anybody to fail. But I'm telling you, your performance, good or bad. And you notice I said bad. Your performance, good or bad, has nothing to do with your value to God and your worth. You know why? Now listen to this. This is amazing. Every person born into this world was created in the image of God. Did you know that? When that little baby was born, God knew its future. God wanted them to make right choices. But you know, that, that little baby, whether it was in India or Africa or Ethiopia or Spring Hill or Birmingham or wherever, did you know that child has inherent value and worth and God loves them greatly? Now, you say, Brother Fred, what do you base that on? Every person has value and worth and is greatly loved by God because God created them in his image. That changes everything. You mean to tell me, Pastor, that every person was created in the image of God? Yes. Well, what happened to that image? It was marred and is marred by sin. And the human race as you see it now is not the human race that God created it to be. It is marred, it is scarred, it's got it all out of balance. But you know, let me say this to you. Let me tell you why every person, regardless of their performance. Now, does God want you to do the right thing? Yeah, of course. But that's not his, base, it, that's not his basis for loving you and accepting you. You see, everyone, listen to this verse. This is all the way back in the beginning. This is why everybody in this room has value to God. Let me tell you right now, every one of you are more valuable to God than you'll ever know. Every one of you are worth more to God than you'll ever realize. And, and every one of you listening to me right now are greatly loved by God. If you knew how greatly loved by God you were, it would cause you to change 
some of the directions of your life. Now look at why we have value. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps. He said, we're going to make man. And then it goes down. It said, and God created male and female in his image. Now listen, you are created in the image of God. When you were conceived in the womb of your mother, I am telling you, the image of God was indelibly stamped upon your life. And I'm telling you, when God... God did not create any junk when he created you and me. You say, but Brother Fred, some people are born handicapped. Yes, but they're special in the eyes of God. Some people are born in, with a silver spoon in their mouth. Well, that's okay. They're special in the eyes of God. Another place is a person is born in the home of a single mother, and, and, and she may not be there sometimes, and they just struggle to have enough to get by. But you see, the ground is level. Every person is of great value. God. He said, let us make man in our image. You know why God created you? What does it mean that you are in the image of God? It means God created you to be an expression, an extension of his life. That wherever you go, the life of God will be extended through you. Let us make man and woman in our image. Let them be an extension of our life. And he said, let's create them after our likeness. Oh, we were not only created to be an extension of the life of God. We were created to be an expression of the character of God after our likeness. You know, I could tell you a lot about the character of God. But I'll tell you the, the thing that you, you need to know, just one thing. If you're an expression of the character of God, you love God and you love people. You know, you love people. In fact, the great commandment is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so created in his image, you were created to be an extension of his life. Wherever you go, the life of God could come out of you. But you were created to be an expression of his character, his likeness. His, he created his likeness. And so that the love of God could come out of us. The life of God. But also it says, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. So, every person has worth, has value, and is greatly loved by God. Every person. And they were created to extend his life, to express his character, and to exhibit his power. And once you know that, you realize that your worth doesn't come from your performance. <laughs> your value doesn't come from what you do. I hope you do well. But your worth and value does not come from your performance. It comes from who God created you to be and how you are greatly loved by God. Now, here's the thing. Uh, our worth and value to God is not based on our performance. In fact, now this is a little disturbing, but reality sometimes is, is disturbing. You see, God created us, but Adam sinned. Adam and Eve, you know. Adam sinned. 
From that point on, Adam had a sinful nature. And the truth is, everybody in this room, including the speaker, we hadn't performed too well. No, we hadn't performed too well. In fact, let me tell you how God says that we perform. Now, you say, but I, that's not me. Well, go look in the mirror when, I, when you get home and see if this includes you. The first thing I want you to look at is Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. He said, this is his describe of the human race after Adam sinned and after we have been born with a sinful nature. He said, there's none righteous. No, not one. That is not good performance. There's none righteous. No, not one. Look, look at the next verse. There's no one that understands. They don't really understand who I am and what life is all about and how good I want to be to them. There's none who understands. Boy, this, this is big. There's none that seeks after God. I'm going to tell you something. I'm standing up here today not because I was chasing after God. I'm standing here this morning because God was chasing after me. And by the way, he can outrun you. <laughs> but the truth is we hadn't performed well. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. And it goes on in the next verse and says, they've all turned aside. <laughs> they have together become unprofitable. <laughs> that is not good performance. There is none who does good. No, not one. Is there anybody here today who's never sinned? Anybody here who's never fallen short? Of course there's not. The only person that was that was, that was the Lamb of God, the sinless Son of God, the Son of David. And so we see here that, 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 that God, we, we've not performed well. But still, God loves us, and we have worth, and he will accept us. Look at verse 23 of this same chapter. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, I looked up that word all. Now, you know what it means. What does it mean? See, you've got it. It means all. <laughs> that means you and you and me. Hey, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, the truth is, God's love for us and his plan for us is not based on our performance. If it was, it would, we would all be failures. And, and oh, we may have a million dollars, but we'd still be a failure. Oh, no. I'm talking about as far as our heart and our life before God. And so, God's love for us and our worth is not based on our performance. However, in Romans 5, 8, 9, and 10, it makes it clear. You say, well, Brother Fred, you've got to be good enough for God to accept you. If you just do be good, God will love you and God will accept you. That's performance. Look what this verse says. God demonstrates his love toward us. It's right here in the Bible. God demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were doing real good, is that what it says? No. God demonstrates his love toward us and while we were still sinners. Wow. Christ died for us. Jesus didn't see you at your best and go to the cross and die in your place. Jesus saw you at your absolute worst and loved you enough to go to the cross and die in your place. It says, God showed his love toward us while we were still sinners. 
we were not performing right. But he showed his love. Look, look at verse 10 of Romans 5. For if when we were enemies, that means we were rebelling. Sin is rebellion. I'm going to do what I want to do. I know what you said, God, but I choose to do my, my own thing. For when, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. When I was an enemy, God sent Jesus and he died on the cross so he could recon, reconcile me to him through the death of his son. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, having been reconciled, we'd be saved by his life. So Ephesians 2.12 says, that this is where you've got to realize that our acceptance by God is not based on our performance. Talking about us before we came to know Jesus, that at that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise. Now listen to what he said, having no hope. Here's a person, they're successful in the eyes of the world. The world says, they have value. They have worth. Because look at their performance. But without, if they're not right with God, it says they have no hope. And they're without God in this world. Well, if you don't have God, what do you have? Oh, you, have, you look forward to the grave. You look forward to an eternity separated from God. So the point I'm making is this. Is God's our value and our worth to God is not based on our performance. And the truth is, we have not performed well. And that includes me. Now, however, this is where it gets good. You say, well, I hope so. But this is where it gets good. Our, your acceptance by God and your fulfilling of God's pur purpose for you, what God created you to be, it's not based on your performance. It is based on God's provision. What God provided for us. You see, God knew we couldn't perform right. He knew that. He knew that. So what God did said, I'm going to provide a way for you. I am going to provide a way for you. And so our value and our worth and the meaning and purpose of our life is fulfilled when we accept God's provision. Well, what was God's provision? Well, first of all, you've got to understand this, that you're greatly loved by God. Look at this verse. You, 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 won't y'all just say it with me, read it with me. We know it all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. That was God's provision. He gave his only begotten son. And then we go over to 1 John chapter 4, I believe it is. Verse 9 and 10. In this the love of God toward us. See, I want you to know right now. And I don't want you to think about the person sitting beside you. I want you to think about yourself. I want you to know how much God loves you. I just want you to know how much he loves you. If you ever grasp, but Brother Fred, I hadn't performed well. I know God is not pleased with the way I've lived. Come on, I understand. But he still loves you. That's the amazing thing. While we were sinners, God showed his love toward us. 
It says, in this the love of God was manifested toward us. That God, how do you know God loves you? Well, it's easy for you to say God loves me. It's easy for you to say God loves people. What about all the hurting people? What about all the people around the world, the starving people and all that stuff? What about all the evil in the world? Well, that's all because, don't blame that on God. That's all because of man's sin and man's greed. For the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that you might live through him. Time out. Are you telling me, Brother Fred, that God sent Jesus into the world that I might live through him? In this the love of God is manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Look at the next verse. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the substitute, the sin bearer for our sins. So let me tell you something. When God sees you, his attitude and response to you is not based on your performance. You've got to understand he loves you and he has already made provision for you through his great love and through his son Jesus. Now, so how did we, how did God provide for us? How did he provide for us? All right. This, this is the perfect provision of God. Here it is. God's perfect provision for you and me. So that we can receive God's love, we can know that we are forgiven, and that we are accepted by God. God's provision for us was when Jesus Christ went to the cross and died on the cross in our place. He took our sins on himself. Hey, by the way now, when Jesus was on that cross, every one of my sins past, present, and future, was placed on him. When Jesus was dying on that cross, every one of your sins, past, present, and future, was placed on him. Now, you can receive that sacrifice and be forgiven, or you can reject that sacrifice and be forever lost and separated from God. But Jesus Christ died for all people. He just didn't die for the successful he just didn't die for those that performed right. He, he didn't die for just for those who had fame or fortune. Oh, oh no. It, he died for each one of us. So God's provision for us to be what he created us to be is that Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place. He took our sins in himself. Now I want to just give you the scriptures. And man, I, I'm praying these will get into your heart. Because then you'll be able to deal with your past. If you know what Jesus did on the cross, the devil says something to you about the, your past. You say, yeah, but I'm forgiven. I don't live there anymore. God's forgiven me of that, and he's forgotten about it. Why should I go back there? That is not even against my account anymore. See, when you understand the provision of Christ for you, you don't have to worry about your past. You can learn from it, but that's over. That's history. The day you came to Jesus, God closed that chapter in your life. And, and listen to what it says in Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. This is how you're accepted by God. 
This is how you can live in the present. This is how you cannot live in the prison of your past. It talks about in, in, in the Old Testament, every priest ministered every day and they offered a sacrifice that couldn't take away sin. But look at this one. Now he's talking about Jesus. This man, Jesus Christ, at he offered one sacrifice for sin forever. Now that has a finality to it. Jesus offered one sacrifice for all sin forever. Sat down at the right hand of God. You know when you sit down? When you're finished, that's when you sit down. You know, that didn't used to bother me. I could stay on my feet a long time when I was young. But I love to sit down. In fact, I love to sit down when we sing. I just get wore out standing up. I'm going to write a, a song that everybody can sit down by. I mean, you know, a hymn book, 300 songs to sit down by. Brother Ed, I'm not being critical there. I just, I'm just getting old. But it says this. But this man, this is final, offered one sacrifice for sin forever. He sat down. Because it was finished. He said, it's done. Man, what, what a provision by God. And it goes on in that same chapter. Look at the next verse. He made one sacrifice for sin forever. He sat down waiting for the time when his enemies would be made his footstool. Then he says here, listen to this. By one offering, he has perfected forever those that are being sanctified. Okay, here you are. Your performance and my performance is lousy. We're not righteous, none, none righteous, no one, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. All we like sheep have gone astray. And it says all have sinned. So our performance isn't any good. But you know, Jesus made one offering. And through that offering of his own, himself and, and that offering of his shed blood, by one offering, he has perfected forever those that are being sanctified. Once Christ comes to live in you, then your sins are forgiven and you are in the hand of Jesus and you're in the hand of the living God. And I'm telling you, you have been perfected forever. You say, well, I'm, not, I, I'm saved, but I sure don't live perfect. I know you don't. But I'm telling you the sacrifice for Jesus for you was perfect. You can't add anything to it and you can't take anything with it. If somebody says, well, it's Jesus plus baptism. No, it isn't. It's Jesus plus my good works. No, it isn't. You know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm for baptism. But it's, listen, by one offering, he perfected forever those that are being sanctified. He offered one sacrifice for his end forever. He, by one offering, he perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Look at the next verse, that same chapter. It says, it, it's in, chap, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. Okay, now, I'm talking about where do you get your value? Where do you get your worth? How can you and me, who have not performed well, we're sinners, how can we be accepted by God? And the answer is there's only one way. Through the perfect, final, complete sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the shedding of his blood, the taking of our sins on himself and our sin nature. Okay. And so we've got to understand. Now, th this is a beautiful picture 
of how God has provided acceptance for you. Hebrews 9 verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of good things to come. That is a, of, that with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not of this creation. All right. Now here it is. Jesus, he died on that cross. He hung there. Your sins were on him. My sins were on him. My sinful nature was on him. I sinned because I have a sinful nature. But he did something about that. It says, all right. And in verse 12, it says, not with the blood of goats and calves. You see, in the Old Testament, they would take the blood of a goat and a calf. They would sprinkle the mercy seed. They would offer it on the uh, altar for a sacrifice. Every day they'd bring the, the first fruits. Every day they'd bring the best lamb. They'd offer it as a sacrifice for their sin. Just cover it up. Wouldn't get rid of it. And, and so, but now Jesus comes, and he, he, and he goes. He's going into heaven now. He's already died on the cross, and now his spirit is going to heaven. Here, here's what it is. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place. So what Jesus did when he died on the cross, it is finished. With his own blood, he went into heaven. And he went into the holy of holies in heaven. And he went before the heavenly mercy seat. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And you go into the next verse. It says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, boy, I love this. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience? You don't have to live in the past. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So Jesus went into heaven itself, sprinkled the mercy seat in heaven with his own blood, and absolutely paid the ultimate and final price. And now when God sees us as his children, he sees us through the mercy seat. He sees us through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, 14, 15. Look at verse 20, verse 20, uh, uh, Verse 15. Let's go back to verse 15. Because he did that, for this reason, he's the mediator of a new covenant. Now, I want you to remember that in your mind. That we're not living under the old covenant of law. We're living under the new covenant of grace and mercy. Now, it says here, because Jesus took his own blood that he shed on the cross, went into heaven, sprinkled the mercy seat, made the final sacrifice for sin forever, he now becomes the mediator, the way to a new covenant, to a new covenant based on better promises. But this reason he is the mediator of new covenant by means of his death for the redemption of transgressions under the first covenant for those who are called may receive the promise of eternal life. So he, he, he's instituted a new covenant. All right. Look at verse 24. I just told you this. Christ did not enter the holy place made with hands. He went into the heavenly tabernacle, which are copies of the true. But he went into, 
Oh, my, my soul. This gets me right here. I, I, I got to pause on this. Christ did not enter the holy place made with hands, which are the copies of the true. Listen to this. But into heaven itself. Now, wait a minute. To appear in the presence of God for, say the word. Jesus went into the presence of the Father and he offered his, had his own blood and he said, I'm here representing Fred. I'm here for him and I'm here for Bill and Sue. I'm here for him. I, I'm going, I'm in the presence of God for them who will receive my sacrifice. He went and appeared in the presence of God for us. I'll never forget this. I used to fly around the country with Emmett Hildred in an airplane that had no business getting off the ground. I promise you it was held together with haywire. And we were flying somewhere, and we got, we got on that verse. And I said, Emmett, look here. It says, he went into heaven to appear in the presence of God for us. And we just, it broke into us that he went there and appeared in our presence. And we just got to talking about it, and we overflew our destination. <laughs> had to turn around and come back. I don't mind that at all. Do you realize this morning how much worth you have to God? Do you understand that he went into heaven with his own blood to appear in the presence of God for you? But I don't deserve it, Brother Fred. That's grace. I don't deserve That's grace. I, I, I deserve judgment. That's mercy. You see, it's not by our performance, y'all. We would all miss it. It's by God's provision. The perfect sacrifice of Jesus in verse 27 and 28, talks about uh, it is appointed unto men once to die. Everybody in this room has one thing in common. Unless Jesus comes back, we're going to die. We don't like to talk about it, but it's reality. But in Christ, death has lost its sting. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, a judgment. Look at this verse. Christ, but Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. He bore our sins. To those who eagerly wait for him, he's going to appear a second time. Apart from sin to salvation. We're going to go to be with Jesus. So look, God's provision, it's not by our performance, it's by God's provision. And I have to tell you one other thing. Jesus, now listen to this. If you don't get this, you're going to be in trouble. Jesus not only died for our sins, he took our sinful nature to the cross. You know why I was a sinner, and I still sin. I don't want to. I'm running from it, not to it. But, you know, we all mess up sometimes. You don't have to. Don't use it as an excuse. Well, God, nobody's perfect. He said, why don't you try? But, I mean, you know. But you've got to understand that Jesus Christ did for us so that we could walk with confidence before him. And, he, and he, if he had just died for our sins, he would have died for the symptoms. He had to put to death our sinful nature. Listen to what it says in Romans 6, uh, 6 and 7. Knowing this, my, our old man was crucified with him. That's who I was in Adam. In Adam, I was a sinner by nature and a sinner by choice. I had an inheritance from Adam. 
When Adam sinned, sin got in the bloodstream of the human race, and I inherited a sinful nature from Adam, and, I, and I, so that's called my old man. But knowing this, our old man, who I was in Adam, was crucified with him, put to death, that, I, that it may be done away with, and I no longer have to be a slave of sin. You see, let me tell you something. When you get saved, he not only forgives your sins, he puts to death your sinful nature, and now you don't have to be a slave of sin. You don't have to be. You, you have victory over it because Jesus put your sinful nature to death. If he had just died for your sins, he would have died for the symptoms. But he took your sinful nature. Now, it tries to rise up. It's called the flesh. But you just say it's defeated. It's defeated. It has no power over me anymore. None. So, the provision is Jesus took our sins and he took our sinful nature. Now, I want you to see this. He's a, a mediator of a new covenant. By the way, he who has died from sin, he, has been, he who has died has been freed from sin. But I want to show, show you about the new covenant. Hebrews 10, 15 through 17. Now, this is, let me tell you why you're going to have to live in your past. This is just one little nugget, but I, I want you to see this. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, and after he had said before, this is this. This is the covenant. We got a covenant with, with, with God, the Father, through Jesus. This is a covenant I will make with them in those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my law in their heart, and I'll write my law in their mind. I will write them. You know what? Before I got saved, and you did, there was the law on the outside. You said, you better do this. You better not do that. You better do this. You better not do that. But when Jesus forgave me of my sin and you of your sin, he came and he wrote his law in our hearts. And now we do things not because we have to, but because we want to. And he wrote it in our mind. And now we do things because we, not because we have to, but because we want to. And so he put our sinful nature to death. And as a part of the new covenant, he wrote, he put inside of us the desire to obey God. He put inside of us the desire to keep the law of God. And then, but then it goes on and says this, and this is what I want you to get. It says, <coughs> the new covenant. Then he adds, he said, I'll write my law in their hearts and their minds. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remind them of all the time. What does that verse say? Their sins and iniquities, their sins and lawless deeds, read the last part with me. I will remember no more. Well, let me ask you a question. Why are you living in the prison of your past when Jesus no longer, God no longer by choice, doesn't even remember what you did? The only one that's reminding you of your past is the devil. It's not God. Because if you're saved, he said, I, I'm, I'm wiping that out. It's, it's done. It's canceled. I don't even remember it. You know why? Because he chooses not to remember it. And so why should we live in the prison of our past when not only have our sins been forgiven, not only has our sinful nature been broken, but praise God, he doesn't even remember what we did before we were saved.
Now, if you can't say amen, your amener is broke is all I got to say. You just live, don't live in the prison of your, of your past. Just don't do it. Hey, so, you know, that's a part of the new covenant. Uh, and we're accepted in Jesus. I want to show you Ephesians, just two verses. Ephesians 1, 6, and 7. But to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted. We are accepted in Jesus. We are accepted. Now, if I ask you, do you believe God loves you? You'd raise your hand. If I ask you, do you believe you're fully accepted by God? Some of you would have trouble raising your hand because you don't really believe you're fully accepted by God because of what you were. God doesn't even remember that. He doesn't even remember that. It's under the blood of Jesus. He says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, whereby he's made us accepted in the beloved. So, you don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live in guilt. You don't have to live mourning over your past sins and failures and disappointments and hurts. You don't have to live in the prison of your past. God has made provision for your sins to be forgiven, but not only to be forgotten. All right, and these are the last two verses. I want to show you how God has accepted you. Now, I want you to listen to these verses. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. You say, well, I don't feel worthy to talk to God. I don't feel worthy to pray. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel good enough to do something. I, I, I mean, I, 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 God can't, God, God's never got over what I was. Don't tell me that. That's exactly against what the Bible says. So you don't have any confidence. You, you say, well, I, I can't do it because, you know, I, I know what I was. I know what it was. And I just can't. But listen to what it says. Our confidence. Therefore, brethren, having confidence, boldness to enter the holiest, God's presence, by the blood of Christ. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to go into the very holy presence of God through the blood of Jesus. And you read on in the next verse. By a new and living way, consecrated for us through the veil, that is through his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God. Listen to this. Listen to this. Not living in the prison of your past, but listen to this. Let us draw near. Just draw near to God. You can't draw near to God. You were too bad. You did too many things. And, and you, 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 know, you know, it's too many marks against you. You got too many scars. You, 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 you didn't perform right. You didn't know. Doesn't say anything about that. Let us draw near. Just draw near. With a true heart. And full assurance of faith. Our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience. Glory to God. And our bodies washed with pure water. Then Hebrews 4, th th this is good, you'll see this, two verses. Seeing then we have a great high priest, Jesus, who passed through the heavens right into the holy of holies, sprinkled the mercy seat with his blood, and God sees us who are saved through the mercy seat, through the blood of Christ. Seeing we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, hold fast your confession, hold fast your confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus understands, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore 
Come boldly. Let us come with confidence to the throne of grace. But you can't, you can't do that. Don't you remember what you were? Don't you remember what you did? Don't you remember the people you hurt? Don't you remember? Come on. If we all wanted to, we could remember stuff and we would never get anywhere. But let's just, hey, he sprinkled us with the blood of Jesus and from a, de a dead works. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace to get mercy and find grace to help us in time of need.